Greetings and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast. My guest on this episode is one of the best boxing writers in the business, Thomas Hauser. I've known Tom for many years. He's, uh, without question, one of the more thoughtful uh, and informative writers about the sport. Uh, we had the chance to discuss the Zone deal, the World Series of Boxing, the Wilder-Joshua negotiations, and the general state of boxing in, in 2018. Unfortunately, there are a few um, technical glitches in the recording of our conversation, including the, the, the last few minutes got cut off. But uh, otherwise, this was a lively and informative conversation uh, that I really enjoyed and hope you do too. My pleasure to have the Dean of Boxing Writers as a guest this week, one of the most prolific writers in the sport and also one of the most insightful, uh, Mr. Tom Hauser. Welcome to the Boxing Esquire podcast. Nice to be with you. <laughs> um, you know, I, I couldn't not have you on here and not talk about the state of the game, uh, the state of boxing. And, you know, so there's a lot of interesting things going on, uh, especially in the world of broadcasting. You know, for many years, you chronicled the, the trials and travails of HBO HBO was the biggest bank for a long time. You know, you tracked, uh, you know, drops in viewership or, or developing new stars or, you know, or not. And whether they were making exciting fights or not, um, seems to me the game irrevocably changed um, when the PBC disrupted everything with the hedge fund money, with the time buy. Um, you know, thus far, they've been unsuccessful in, in flipping the model, but it seemed like they gave the the networks, the analytics, um, to see that boxing, you know, when it's at its best, when it has exciting fights, draws as much as any other major sport. So Top Rank took advantage of that. They have this ESPN deal. Suddenly DAZN's throwing money at, uh, at Eddie Hearn, and that, that's kind of where I'd like to start. Um, what are your thoughts about the announcements made this week by DAZN and, and Eddie Hearn? Well, let's correct one thing at the start. Boxing does not draw as much as other major sports. Hmm. Boxing draws very poorly compared to other major sports. Every now and then you have a fight that might capture the imagination of people like Mayweather-Pacquiao, hmm. which was long after its time. But if you look at the ratings, boxing constantly is way down the line from other major sports and what's happening now is important to us as boxing fans and members of the boxing community but if you look at the larger picture top rank has this deal with espn plus now it's a big big deal for boxing fans but if you go to the espn website and look for boxing it doesn't have its own portal you know Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, they all have their own portal. Boxing is grouped under other, and it's like the 20th sport listed under other. <laughs> yeah, you know, what? It, it seems, and, and you've written about this extensively. Certainly, I remember reading a column by you about the lack of coverage by the New York Times. Uh, you know, boxing, like media yeah. has, has kind of marginalized boxing on its own. Yeah. Boxing keeps shooting itself in the foot because it doesn't give fans what it wants. Now, at the present time, there are really three main powers in boxing. There's 
PBC, which has aligned itself with Showtime and is right. constantly looking for other sources of income sure. and people that'll pay it for fights rather than have them do time buys. Right. You've got top rank ESPN. Now you have Eddie Hearn, Perform Media, DAZN, but they're not really giving fans the fights that fans want to see. There are four fights that boxing fans want to see now that would rejuvenate the sport. We have one of them. We're getting Canelo and Golovkin fighting for the second time on September 15th. But if you look at the other fights that would rejuvenate the sport, Errol Spence against Terence Crawford is a Mm no-brainer. It's not going to happen anytime in the near future. Mikey Garcia against Vasil Lomachenko is a no-brainer. It's not going to happen anytime in the near future. And Deontay Wilder against Anthony Joshua is a no-brainer. It's not going to happen anytime in the near future. Instead, for the most part, fans are given fights they don't want to see. Now, we've got a fight coming up on Showtime. Danny Garcia against Sean Porter. I think that's a very, very good, entertaining fight. You have the guys who are probably the fourth and fifth best. I'm sorry. You have the guys who are probably the fourth and fifth best welterweights in the world fighting each other. I like that. Number four against number five is five. But look at all the other nonsense we're seeing, the the really mediocre fights that are being thrown at us. And we're told, well, this has to marinate. This isn't ready yet. No, that's why fans lose interest and other fans never get interest. We're not getting the fights we want to see. If you look at any other sport, the best play the best at the end right, of the year. And right. if they don't, it's because they're knocked off on the way there. Right. That doesn't happen in boxing. And yeah, sure, has Showtime done some nice fights? Yeah. How many fights has Showtime had this year that you'd really want to see again? That I'd want to see again? Yeah. Um, you know, maybe a couple. Which ones? I'd say Wilder Ortiz was a really good fight. Okay, that's one. Um I'm trying to think of <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, you know, we'll see how Mike Garcia Easter goes. That, that might—I mean, it's a good—it's a good fight as far as you know, top lightweights fighting each other. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, Joshua Parker was a was a on paper was a good matchup, but didn't no, turn out to be. I, I, just, I wouldn't I want to see that. I think one Joshua either. Parker was a horrible matchup. Parker had a belt, right? And if Parker didn't have a belt. Nobody would have been interested in seeing that fight. Well, Nobody might be too strong. Or yeah, but it was a terrible fight with, with a referee who who, who yeah, he, bollocks it up. And, yeah. and unbeaten again means nothing to me. Right. Yeah, unbeaten now is, is a manufactured record. I could manage you to a, a twenty and zero record. <laughs> I put you in against the right opponents. Right. That's not what boxing should be about. Sugar Ray Leonard lost to Roberto Duran. He wasn't unbeaten anymore. Right. Did that kill Ray's career? No. No. He no. came back and he beat Duran. He beat Thomas Hearns. Ultimately, he beat Marvin Hagler. Right. Uh, doesn't matter that Ray doesn't have an O on his record or didn't have an O on his record. Yeah. There was a time when the best fought the best, and that has given way now to preserve your O, I understand that as a fighter, you want the easiest fight for the most amount of money, but it's killing the sport. Right. Boxing is a niche sport. 
If you and I walk out on the street today and stop people and ask who's the heavyweight champion of the world, the answer we'll get most is, well, I, don't, I, I don't think it's Mike Tyson anymore. <laughs> I, I stopped following yeah, after Mike Tyson. Yeah, very yeah. few people <laughs> are going to say, well, Anthony Joshua has this belt, Deontay Wilder has that right. belt. People don't even know who the champions are anymore. Right. There are two things that have killed boxing, in my view. One is that uh, people don't know who the champions are, and concomitant to that, people don't see the fights they want to see. And also, boxing has an economic model that cuts its signature events off from the greatest number of fans. And it's right. still doing it. It's right. still doing it. Yeah. How popular would Tiger Woods have become if you could see him play for free in the Monsanto Open, right. but you had to pay sixty nine ninety five to watch <laughs> him in the Masters? Even with the SPN Plus, we're paying $5 a month. That's fine. $5 a month is, is, is right. a perfectly fair price. But when we get to the big fights, Bob Arum and ESPN Plus have already told us those will not be on ESPN Plus. Those will be pay-per-view. Right. If Terrence Crawford ever fights Errol Spence, that's not on ESPN Plus. That's a pay-per-view fight. Right. So far, we haven't seen a whole lot from DAZN. We're getting Anthony Joshua against Alex, Alexander Povetkin as their kickoff fight. That's a very nice fight. Well, I like that. Yeah. that that's, a, that's a good fight. Right. That is a legitimate fight. I'm looking forward to that fight. But look at what else they're giving us. Uh, Maurice Hooker. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a well, Demetrius Andre against... Uh, Probably not Billy Joe Saunders, but probably a right, stiff. Right, you know, I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's Katie underwhelming. Taylor, who's a wonderful personality and a very, very good fighter, fighting the wrong Serrano. Right. I mean, th- th- this, is, this is why fans turn off to boxing. College football is huge. College football fans put up with watching Alabama play Chattanooga because they know down the line later in the year they're going to see Alabama play Auburn. Right. They're going to see Alabama in a bowl game and maybe right. a championship game. You see Ohio State play Michigan each right. year. You get the big games. Boxing too often avoids the big fights. Now they're throwing quantity at people rather than quality. And they say, oh, we're giving you great quality. We're not. You look at the history of boxing on television for the last 40 years, and every time a promoter has an output deal with a network, and it's the exclusive promoter for that network, quality suffers, and sooner or later, they start giving the network garbage. And I've made this point on this podcast like numerous times. There's no one promoter, save for maybe the BBC, that has enough uh, roster to, to, to do a whole year's worth of, 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 of quality fights and programming and stay in-house. They're, I mean, Top Rank doesn't have that kind of roster. Eddie Hearn certainly doesn't have that kind of roster. PBC maybe, but then with the PBC, you've got guys who don't want to fight each other, you know, and, and they haven't been able to, you know, I mean, Gary Russell, they get him in the ring once a year. He's a tremendous talent, but he doesn't want to fight. You know, I mean, he gets paid a lot of money, fights once a year. But um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack with what, with what, what you just said. Um, one, one positive thing I've seen in, in the last couple of years was the, uh, the tournament style. Um, 
the tournament that the, the World Boxing Super Series that Cali Sauerland, you know, and, and investors in Europe have come up with where you have, where you bring the top fighters or most of the top fighters, the ones who will participate from a weight division in, you have it tournament style like other sports do it. What is good television? You have playoffs. You follow a story from the quarterfinals to the semis to the finals. Like today, the cruiserweights, which is not a division that many U.S. fans see, but you've got the two best cruiserweights in the world fighting. Whether the belts are on the line, who cares? You know you've got the two best, and the winner of that is the best cruiserweight in the world. What, what are your impressions of uh, what they're doing with the World Boxing Super Series? I love the World Boxing Super Series cruiserweight tournament because they took the best cruiserweights in the world, they put them in an elimination tournament. It wasn't like the Showtime Super Six where you had guys fighting three times and guys <laughs> drop out and eventually people stop paying attention to the tournament. Yeah, you had Andre Ward come out of that as a real star, but it went on too long. It dragged and dragged. I love the World Boxing Super Series Cruiserweight Tournament. We will know very shortly, who the best, and probably before this podcast runs, (laughs) exactly who the best cruiserweight in the world is. 168-pound tournament was less appealing to me because they didn't have the best fighters. I am very heartened by the roster I see for next year, certainly at 140 pounds, where you have Regis Progray in the tournament, some other very good fighters. But again, that's an example of, if you look at the 140-pounders, Progress should have been fighting Ramirez. Right. Ramirez wasn't going to fight him. He right. might have wanted to, but there was no way Bob Arum was going to let Ramirez fight right. Progress right. because Progress presumably would have destroyed him. Right. So, yeah, I would very definitely support the World Boxing Super Series. But unfortunately, if you look at what happened, they couldn't even get a TV commitment in the United States you for this know, first year. I'm starting to wonder about that, though, because, you know, I've heard Cali Sauer, and first of all, he doesn't do a lot of U.S. press, and and I've, I've heard him interviewed over in Britain, and he's kind of had some, like, you know, like anti-U.S., like, I don't know if he's got some sort of anti-U.S. No, thing but that's, that's nonsense. Look, they hired but, Richard Schaefer because right. they thought he could deliver a U.S. TV deal for them, and he didn't. But at what price? Because I heard like there were there were many bids We want this. You're only giving us that. Bottom line is that whatever unrealistic expectations the World Boxing Series might have had for a TV deal in the United States, at some number they were offers, and an offer would have been better than no offer. Right. Now we'll see what Perform does with that next year on right. the Zone. But again, you you have a really, really good tournament, and it couldn't get any TV exposure here in the United States, which is part of the problem. And again, you said it, you have PBC has its roster of fighters, Top Rank has its roster of fighters, Eddie Hearn has his. They're going to have to start fighting each other more, because right now what you have in boxing is a situation where at the end of the college football season, if the Big Ten said, well, our champions aren't going to fight, they're going to play the SEC champions, (laughs) and you know, Pac-12 or however many teams they have now, they said, well, you know, we're not playing the uh, people from the Atlantic Coast. No. This isn't MMA with UFC. (laughs) Well, you know, college football used to be that way, though, because you had conferences had to play in a certain, the champs had to play in a certain bowl game. Yeah. So you couldn't have number one and number two necessarily. And you know know what changed it? Money. 
Right. Because college football realized the BCS, that yeah. fans want to see a championship series. They don't want you know they don't want to see the Big Ten champion play the Pac Ten Pac Eight yeah. or however I think Pac Twelve. I don't even know what it is. I think it was now. eight at the time. But you know, you know, in, in the Rose Bowl every right. year. You know, we right. we it's just but but boxing isn't at that stage yet. It's everybody for himself. Right. or herself. Right. There's no sense of a common good. The last time boxing really had an authority that was growing the sport as a whole, and it was you know, 20 years ago, was when HBO ruled the roost, and they could say, look, we want the best to fight the best. We're going to take Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran and Thomas Hearns and Marvin Hagler and have them fight each other. Or the again, heavyweight again, tournament that they did. The yeah. heavyweight tournament, you know, which, which had some problems when Michael Spinks dropped out. Always going to have but, opt-outs. But, but the point <laughs> is, you had the best fighting the best, but of course you had much more money then. I mean, it, it, if you think about it, it's really not all that long since HBO was able to pay a $6 million license fee for Jermaine Taylor against Winky Wright. Right. Well, those days ain't coming back again. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting because it's not that the money's not out there, right? I mean, and, and you know, and, and kind of going back to DAZN, um, and again, this is something you've written about extensively, but I, I know you had interviewed years ago, you interviewed Todd DeBuff, and at the time, Todd was talking about, you know, we need to get boxing in front of more eyeballs. Even Ross Greenberg, in one of the interviews you did with him, was saying, ideally, boxing would be back on terrestrial TV in front of more eyeballs to grow the sport. Well, now you have money coming into the sport, but unfortunately with the zone, I mean, they're literally starting from zero. So we're, you know, Top Rank just got boxing back onto ESPN and in front of, you know, 85 to 90 million viewers. And now you've got the zone that has the World Boxing Super Series, unfortunately. And, you know, you could have as few as like 100, 200,000 well, people but, watching. But wait, you, you, you said they got it on to ESPN with 85 to 90 million viewers. How many people watch Manny Pacquiao in his last fight against Lucas Matisse? Uh, on on, on the an plus. app. Yeah. On an app. Yeah. How many people watched it? And how They many, won't even give the numbers. They, exactly. They won't <laughs> give the numbers. Well, what does that tell you? And how many people watch the ESPN fights? We're getting numbers like what? Four hundred fifty thousand five hundred. But well, again, okay. it goes to quality. Okay, but if you, yeah, yeah, because that's the other thing is if you do get your product in front of eyeballs, and it's a lousy product, what do you do? You turn people off. I mean, to, in, in that regard, Mayweather-Pacquiao hurt boxing. Mm. It really that fight itself captured the imagination of people. Oh, you know yeah. the numbers: more than they, four they million people, right. more, more than four million buys, which is a lot more than four million people for that fight on pay per view. And what do they give people? They give them two wretched undercard fights, and then a main event where one guy has a bad shoulder. And the other guy is out boxing. Is content I mean, yeah. to, to, to and, lay and back so and there's win really, points. I mean, the, the product isn't that good that day. The sport is good, but they're giving people mediocre fights. You know, right. Sports fans are not inherently stupid. Right. And you know, I had years ago, I, I, ha I had somebody, a reader, sent me a very, very interesting email. In fact, it was so good, I... I encouraged him to, to write an article and stop writing articles and he's, he's writing now for one of the websites oh, but he sent me he sent me an email and he said you know i work in marketing 
And one of the things I learned a long time ago is you can sell almost anything to people with the proper marketing. You can sell them a perfume that doesn't smell good. You can sell them a shirt that's ugly. The one <laughs> thing you cannot sell people is a boring sports event mm. because sports fans know when they're being entertained and when they're not. Right. And people put on the TV to watch fights today and too often they're not being entertained. Now we understand that not every fight can be a great fight, just like not every football game can be a great football game. And, you know, but, but, but too many fights you know going in aren't going to be good. Right, right, right. I mean, and it's, and it's, un, it's like, like you said, I mean, the tragedy, and it took the, I would say it took the sport a couple of years to recover from Mayweather Pac. Yeah, and also just to carry on that last thought again, there are college football games that, 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 are, that are runovers. We understand that. You know, again, you know, all the big teams have some easy games at the start of the year. Sure. Whether they're playing Appalachian State, although they did come <laughs> up and bite Michigan. In there the you go, yeah. Years ago. Did you go to but, undergrad in Michigan? Or? No, no. No, okay. <laughs> no. But I'm a Columbia guy, which has its own uh, long-suffering football. <laughs> I've been up, I saw a Columbia yeah. football but, game. Yeah, but you know, the point is that yeah, the college football teams have scheduling mismatches, but those teams play every week, week after week. You get right. twelve games in a year. Right. When you have a guy like Errol Spence, who might be the best fighter in the world, pound for pound, right now, I'd certainly put him in the conversation with Lomachenko and Crawford and, and the winner of Golovkin Canelo. Errol Spence is very, very good. You had a perfect launching pad for Errol Spence. Four and a half, peop four and a half million people right, which watched is a him great fight number. Yeah. You know, right after the, uh, the Olympic Olympics. basketball championship. Right. Went, bang, right from the United States winning a gold medal to here's Errol Spence. Four and a half million people. And then he just disappeared. This last fight was a just a horrible yeah, mismatch, and everybody. Oh, this is great. He fought in Dallas, and they sold out <laughs> an arena with what fourteen thousand people. Yeah, right. but that's not going to make Errol Spence a star, and it's not going to make boxing a major sport. Right. The best have to fight the best, especially if they're only fighting twice a year. Absolutely, and 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 it's interesting you mentioned the Spence fight because. Um, I read an article in the the Sports Business Journal. I don't know if, it, if it's a publication you look at it. It's it's great. And um, Bill King does some very good work. That's I it. Know Bill, that. Bill King. Uh, the article he did on on Top Rank, where Burke Magnus basically said, you know, those PBC fights. I mean, you know, you look at them. You know, Spence Bundu did over four million. Um, Thurman Garcia did over three million. Thurman Guerrero did over three million. Broner Porter did over three million. Garcia Guerrero did over three million. Thurman Porter did over two million. Garcia Lamont Peterson over two million. They're looking at these numbers and they're like, boxing can do these numbers? Are you kidding me? Like the average, I think the NBA average over different networks is like 1.8. No, but if you, if you compare what boxing is doing for the most part but, with, but, what, but. With, with what other programming does on those same networks and the same time slots, boxing lags behind. You, and yeah, if you give people a really good fight, they'll turn on and watch it. Right. But a lot of the fights you mentioned were at the, at the inception of PBC. When people Some were, of them really were curious yeah. and looking and saying, "See what's ha let's see what's happening," I think everybody understands that the numbers for PPC have been disappointing. 
Oh, well, yeah, because yeah, they and, and the advertisers didn't thin. come in. Right. And uh, so they're retrenching. They're, they're, they're looking around for, you know, well, trying to get another network TV deal with somebody else. But right. PBC did not deliver. Nobody thinks Al Heyman's going to take over boxing anymore. And the other right. thing to remember is that the investors presumably lost hundreds of millions of dollars with PBC. Right. My sense is it's going to be very difficult for the people who are investing in Matchroom, being Perform or whoever owns Perform. You know, when they look at the numbers two years from now, they may or may not be happy and want to cut back. But you, you can't sustain a business model that loses tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars a year with Major League Baseball, with football, with basketball, with all these sports. The people behind them are making money. And again, the people who invested in PBC have lost a pile of money. Right. Now, ESPN has a different model. They're paying top rank and Nobody outside of the inner circle knows what those numbers right. are. Right. Although they're Bob paying, did say he that they're, he's getting more than HBO and Showtime are paying combined. He's come out and said yes, that. but that may or may not be accurate. <laughs> yeah, are I, you saying he was lying yesterday? I, 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 I'm saying that that may or may not be accurate. Again, you, know, you said it earlier in this. We haven't seen any numbers right. from ESPN on what's the viewership. Right. What we do know is that. Uh, Manny Pacquiao and Terrence Crawford, you know, one of them is very high on the pound for pound list today. The other is one of the great superstars of the past 10 years. Right. Both fought their last fights on an app. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's and that's where boxing finds itself. You know, they're they're the guinea pig. Right. I mean, when when you can't, you know, sign like a, a, a major sport to your network or your app. Then you know the low-hanging fruit is is boxing and the combat sports. Well, but again, you know we say they're the guinea pig, but they're not even the biggest guinea pig. If you go to ESPN Plus, and I'm not talking now about what we in the boxing community are excited about, or what the uh, you know, top rank is excited about. I'm saying if you go to ESPN Plus today and look at their roster of sports, boxing is very far down the list. Mm. of things that they're selling to people. Now, they might succeed. The college football starts this fall. One of the things I noticed as a long-suffering Columbia football fan is ESPN Plus is going to televise all of the Ivy League football games. Right. Now, there are people who go to, uh, you know, Middle Tennessee State right. that might say, great, I'm going to get ESPN Plus because that's the way I can watch Middle Tennessee State football games. Right. So, you know, they're going to put all the pieces together. But boxing is just a small part of that puzzle. And as boxing fans, we have to look beyond our own interests to the larger picture and see what is this going to bring us to. Right now, there are a lot of fights on TV for people who want to pay for them. Probably more than, than any other time right. I can remember. Absolutely. And most of it isn't very good. It's it's single A, double A, maybe triple A. Yeah, you very rarely get major league boxing, right? It's it's either behind a paywall with Showtime, HBO, now the mm. zone, or now the app, ESPN yeah. Plus. Or or if you have a major league player, he he he's in the ring against a minor leaguer. Right, 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 right. Which is you know you don't well. I guess you see it in football, but not so much uh, 
the but again, foot, football teams play once a week. Right. Pro, college, they play once a week except for the bye week. And at the end of the season, you get the playoffs right. where the best fight the best. Right. You, you, you don't reach a situation where the uh, New England Patriots say, well, we're not playing the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl this year because we're going to let the game marinate a while. Longer. Right, right. You don't get a situation where they say, well, you know, New York has a really big media market and fans love the Giants, so we're going to put the Giants in the Super Bowl. Right, right. You, you have a process whereby the best fight the best. Right, right. And the, the best, best athletes the best, fight each other on the field. Yeah, and the yeah. best athletes are always in front of the most eyeballs, right? I mean, yeah. Tiger Woods plays on CBS. He plays on ABC. LeBron James plays on ABC, ESPN, TNT. Um, you know, yeah. but. And, and when Tiger Woods is. Tiger Woods is playing in the uh, British Open right now and doing quite well through three rounds, actually. But they don't say, well, we want to set it up so Tiger can win a tournament, so we're just going to put him <laughs> in against 40 guys. Right, who, some who hackers. can't break 80. <laughs> yeah. you know, he's got to do it against the best. Right, right, right. That's why I mean, that's why I found like the, the World Boxing Super Series to me is kind of, you know, if, if you want to look at an ideal for boxing, I mean, there, there's a couple things that have to happen. I mean, to my mind, um, the promoters, now you've got four networks, which, you know, if, if they work against each other, you're going to have counter-programming. You're going to have just scheduling conflicts. You're going to have just an absolute mess, and no one's going to fight each other. But if the promoters get smart, and they look and see, wow, the UFC is kind of its own thing, and they got $300 million a year from ESPN. You know, WWE just got, you know, $470 million, you know, combined from two networks. If we pooled our resources, used an independent set of ratings, took the top eight, did five tournaments a year, spread them over the four networks. So, all right, so if Aram's got the best fighters in this weight division, do the tournament on ESPN. If they're PBC fighters, do it on Showtime. If it's kind of a mixed bag, let the zone have that one, you know. If you, if you had that, a regular schedule, regular playoffs, boxing fans know they're going to get five tournaments a year. You know, every third year that, that weight division comes around against you, let it regenerate. I mean, it's not rocket science, but hurting yeah, but, the but, cats but they, to make they, it happen. They won't. And, 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 and it's, <laughs> it's completely corrupted by the fact that we're working in a corrupt system. You know, there's been talk periodically of, well, the four major sanctioning bodies. We'll have tournaments where the, you know, each, <laughs> each middleweight champion will fight the so you have a four-person tournament that way. But but you have to start with the fact the ratings that are the, the ratings are horrendous and the championships are corrupted. Right. I mean, you have some very good champions. You have champions in some weight divisions that aren't even world-class fighters. Who are They're prospects, club fighters. even. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, you, you I mean, you become a champion, and, and then you have more developmental fights. <laughs> exactly. I know. I'm looking at Dimitri Bivol, great young talent, yeah. but he's literally a prospect with a world title belt. You know, they're developing him as as he's who, defending the title. Who, who might be the best light heavyweight in the world? I mean, they're, they're, eventually, they're part yeah. of the, or maybe now. I, I don't think a whole lot of people have been anxious to fight him. Oh, but not yeah. at all. But he's yeah, like an I, Errol Spence. But yeah, yeah, exactly. But but. Give us 
good fights and they're not. And, you know, they oh, this is a great fight and a great fighter. No. And so boxing will continue to be a niche sport. Right. Until, until you know, they, these guys wake up and see they're leaving money on the table by not organizing and having a league structure. But there's, there's, no, there's really no long-term view. Every event, for the most part, is seen as a one-off. Let's make as much money as we can from this one event. You know, does top rank do some pretty good long-term planning for its fighters? Yeah. But in the process, they also do damage, as evidenced by the fact that they're turning. They're, they're certainly not anxious to have Terrence Crawford get in the ring with Errol Spence. Right, or Ramirez, they could have put him in the World Boxing Super Series tournament. There yeah, was and he would have lost, in the, fir- and he would have lost in the first round. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, and and but like like we were talking about before, there have been tournaments throughout the history of boxing. Almost all of them had an opt out, right? I mean, the heavyweight tournament in the '60s, Joe Frazier opted out of that, right? They didn't have the very best heavyweights, but they had almost all of the good heavyweights. When when Tyson did the heavyweight tournament, Michael Spinks opted out of that one. When they had the Super Six, Lucian Butte was a world champion who opted out of it. So I, even with the World Boxing Super Series, you may not always get, um, you know, in, in, in an ideal world where you have this league, you, you still may not, I mean, I could see at heavyweight, you know, how are you going to fit a Joshua who's drawing eight, you know, 80,000 in, in Wembley into a tournament that has a fixed purse for the quarterfinals? And you semis? don't. You probably... You, you don't. What you, what you do have, there... Yeah, you just have the best... Is- you, you can you, get <laughs> you have you have a heavyweight tournament and then the winner challenges right you have an interesting challenger i still think it's worthwhile you know i think this endeavor is 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 should be the future of boxing you know espn experimented with a tournament i think with Artie palulu was it a couple oh, of years Lord, ago yeah, boxino and yeah and i don't even mind that i'd like to see a higher quality of fighter in it right but if you took eight heavyweights Reasonably competent heavyweights. Let's like say top twenty-five low, guys. Yeah, well, uh, let's let's say top top twelve 50. maybe. Oh, top twelve. Yeah, okay, no, because okay. it, it gets pretty thin. <laughs> you pretty were fast higher than I was in the heavyweight then. division. But if you take eight pretty good heavyweights and put them in a tournament, I'm okay with that. Oh, absolutely. You know, because at the end of the day, you're going to get uh, presumably your semifinals and your finals will have some quality fighters and some quality fights. Even with the super middleweights, I mean, Ramirez, you know, again, top rank doesn't want to do this. They don't want to participate. Fine. But to me, Ramirez is fighting scrubs on ESPN. You know, they're, they're, their programming is suffering because they're not participating in yeah. this. Why, why wouldn't they have cut a deal that say, fine, we'll participate, but put Ramirez's fights on ESPN, you know, and unless you don't think your guy can win. But I mean, I, to my mind, the winner of Callum Smith and George Groves, that's the best super middleweight in the world because they're fighting real fighters and you I, get to the end of the tournament I, that's the number one I, guy I, that's the guy who wins the tournament I, I i'm i'm reluctant to call the winner of that fight the best 168 pounder in the world uh, uh, that to, to me that tournament if i'm rating them suffered, in the top 10 yeah. that guy goes to number one well I mean, who else do you have on the 168 pounds well, benavides you, is he in there benavides sure he's in the top yeah. 10 but he's fought nobody right right um, you've got Ramirez um, and the other guys. I mean, you've got Groves. You've got DeGale who got upset recently. It's a weak division. Yeah, it's a weak division. Yeah. And Groves has beaten DeGale. He's, you know, beat Eubank. And if he beats Callum Smith, that's my number one guy. Mm-hmm. No question about it. Yeah. Uh, 
might be again it's not certainly not as dramatic as the, as the cruiserweights right where you have good fighters clearly the best cruiserweights in the world right and the winner deserves to be called the cruiserweight champion absolutely of the world. and it's not necessarily about the belts yeah. either because i mean there are there was like one belt holder who, who didn't participate well, but i i have felt for a long time that boxing should segue over to a situation where we focus not on the belts, but on who's number one. I read that column. Division. I love that column. Yeah. And what I've done, and you're familiar with this, over the years, uh, to, to, one of my problems with most of these rankings, you have some guy sitting down at his computer with a box of donuts, you know, and, <laughs> and he exactly. just you know, starts, <laughs> okay, I'll put him one, him two. And, and what I've done, and I've done it both in, in looking at all-time greats, like ranking, ranking the great welterweights of modern times, and also contemporary fighters, is I'll put together a panel of 28 people who really know boxing. Right. And that's you know, matchmakers like Bruce Trampler and Ron sure, Katz, yeah, people in the media like Al Bernstein, sure. trainers you know, like you know, Teddy Atlas, Pat Burns, uh, you know, Barry Hunter. And uh, I'll, I'll then say, okay, these are the best eight welterweights in the world. You know, right. Somebody might quibble about who's seven or nine, but... Basically, if you're saying these are the top eight welterweights in the world or the top ten middleweights in the world, you're getting the top guys. And you say, okay, now let's hypothesize a tournament where all ten of these guys fought each other. So if you have ten fighters fighting each other, that's 45 fights. Okay. Then let's say you have 28 electors. So you have 28 electors, each predicting the results of 45 fights. So you've got over 1,000 fights in your database. You give one point for each predicted win, a half point for each. It's too close to call. You add the points up, and at the end of the day, those are your rankings. Right. And to me, those are the most credible rankings out there. And when I look back at some of these tournaments over the years, one of the things that strikes me is how prescient the predictions were. Mm. For example, if I recall correctly, not one of the electors thought that Miguel Cotto or Manny Pacquiao would beat Floyd Mayweather <laughs> at a time when uh, you know, a lot of people thought those might be competitive fights. Uh, Gennady Golovkin finished, I think, second, a very close second in the poll years ago before he ever fought Proxa on HBO. You know, mm, people didn't mm. know who he was, but the, the matchmakers knew, yeah. knew who he was. The insiders knew who he was. So if you have credible rankings, let's look at who's number one. Right. And then all the fights take on more meaning. Let's go back to Sean Porter and Danny Garcia. You've got the four and five welterweights in the world. Right. I don't care what belt they're fighting for. Oh, I don't yeah. care what phony silver belt, interim belt, garbage belt, whatever <laughs> they want to call it. Because we strip this guy. No, no. Give us good fights between rank fighters. College football fans get very, very excited when the number four team fights the number 
five team, and I say fight, obviously I mean play, <laughs> right, but I'm right, in a right. boxing mode now. <laughs> yeah, if you know that Saturday night on ESPN and college football, number four is playing number five, hey, it's that's a big, a big game. Right. That's a big deal. And you don't really care, you know, that, that the Missouri Valley Conference champion is fighting or playing somebody else. Right. Give right. us good fights between quality fighters or just give us good fights you know to me shawnee monahan i love watching shawnee oh. fight is shawnee world class no he is not and i'm actually quite worried about what's going to happen in his upcoming sure. fight i don't think that's one's going to end well for shawnee but i love I'm shawnee he so is a nice mad at the handlers nice of shawnee man. Monahan okay, and Sha joe smith for not making that fight when they were okay both. exactly shawnee <laughs> and, and joe smith would have been a great fight shawnee and mike lee would be a great fight put shawnee against mike lee either at notre dame or you know in, in long island do, are they two elite fighters? No, but they will give you a great fight a well with a good storyline. Right. It's a well-matched fight. It's a fan-friendly fight. Right. You're not going to see a 10-round exhibition of bobbing and weaving. Right, right. You know, give us good competitive fights. Everybody understood, or at least most people understood, that Arturo Gatti was not... An elite He's not a pound-for-pound fighter. Pound fighter yeah. He was not a pound-for-pound pound fighter. What he was was a great action fighter. People loved watching Arturo Gatti against Mickey Ward because they were entertaining matchups. Give us good fights. Right. Not right. showcase fights. It's right. not rocket science. It's right. not brain science. It's boxing. <laughs> exactly. It's funny you were talking about the ratings and it... Uh, it, 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 it made me a uh, flashback to when I first started writing uh, uh, for uh, BoxingPress.com or, or Seconds Out, I forget which one it was, but I used to do a column called The Stench Test, where I would go through each sanctioning body's ratings, rating by rating, like division by division, fighter by fighter, and say, does this guy belong in the ratings? Does this guy? To the point where I was really pissing off the, the sanctioning bodies, and I had one of the ratings chairmen actually call me and say, well, you know, you don't know about this guy. He was a great amateur and this and that. You know, that's not a bad rating. I'm like, all right, maybe you're right about that. Maybe I don't know all the fighters. You know, I can't watch every one of them, especially this was like 1999 or so. But I said, so, so I said, listen, just do me a favor. Can you tell me how do the WBC ratings work? Like, you guys have this whole list of people who are on a ratings panel. How does it work? He said, okay. It's like, you're not going to tell anybody, right? I said, no, I won't tell anybody. I won't tell anybody. But, um... He's like, listen, our panel does really hard work. We put together as, as good a ratings as we can. We debate. We pool it. Then we send it to Jose. <laughs> and Jose does what he wants. That, so. is, that is exactly what Bob Boosie told me many years ago when he was the chairman of the ratings panel. Yeah. Which is yeah. such a missed yeah. opportunity but, but, for these sanctioning For the first place, it's illegal. Uh, because under the Alley Act, they're supposed to file honest ratings criteria for right. the FTC or post honest ratings criteria on their website and then adhere to them, which they don't. You get rated sometimes by winning fights. You also get rated by having people you know, go to the conventions and buy 
advertising and the programs and all these other things to influence people. And the classic, classic rating story is one of the organizations, I forget which one, it was either the BA or the IBF, had a middleweight named Darren Morris. WBO. B.O. was yeah. the guy? Yeah, who was a and dead man in the ring. sure it was B.O.? It was definitely well, the W.B.O. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and after he died for three consecutive months, he yeah. rose in the rankings. <laughs> oh, okay, what, what does that tell he you? He has about risen. The rankings, yeah. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. And they, they aren't even embarrassed by it. There's no sense of shame. They just do it. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an absolute... Uh, travesty and and you know i guess the only way you know because you know you've got you've got your uh in the media even you've got your your contingent that say belts matter you know if a fighter doesn't have a belt you know they don't have leverage you know they make a lot less when they don't have a belt they make more when a champion having managed fighters for 20 years yeah that's true that's well, true but, yeah belts matter because the tv networks uh, right We'll, we'll pay, pay for, for them again. You know, would, would, would Joseph Parker have gotten millions of dollars to fight Anthony Joshua without the belt? No. Who did he fight to get the belt? Was it with Andy Ruiz? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah, stop. Just stop. <laughs> That's awful. Uh, I mean, I, I, my sense is Dillian White, is he fighting Joseph Parker yes. coming up? Well, well, I mean, it's not like Dillian White is one of the great fighters. Uh, <laughs> I know. The heavyweights are a wasteland. But uh, we'll see what he does with Joseph Parker. Yeah, actually, I think that's a competitive fight. That's that's a that's a pretty even fight. You know, it, it's interesting. We were talking, you know, I have all these TV questions. Um, just the, the landscape of television itself, if you have an opinion on this, um, you know, you've got, it seems like, you know, everyone in, in TV is grappling with this, the whole cord cutting um, uh, situation where... You've got, you know, cable is set up where you've got this, you know, this unholy alliance between, you know, networks that spend a ton of money like ESPN on programming and all these little networks. And they have this unholy alliance where the cable companies bundle them all together and make you pay X amount of dollars for them. Um, people are rebelling against this, obviously. They're, they're now cutting cords and trying to, you know, pick and choose what they want. Um, where do you see this all playing out? I mean, obviously it affects the sport of boxing because you've got ESPN kind of forcing top rank to put their top stars on an, on an app, which who knows how many people uh, are seeing. Nobody knows where it's going to lead. And if I did, I'd be a very rich man. <laughs> you, you, obviously, uh, some people who are far more conversant with the industry than I am think that uh, you know, streaming video is the wave of the future. They look right. at what Netflix has done and they say, okay, we're going to do that with sports and have our own individual revenue streams. Uh, so that's where they're putting their money. And we won't know for a couple of years you know, whether they're right or wrong, maybe 10 years. But nobody can predict where the technology and the business will be 10 years from now. Cord cutting is more prevalent among younger viewers, which, right. of course, is what they're aiming for. Right. Old people like me tend to keep <laughs> what we have. Right. Uh, if you're looking at delivery systems down the road, one thing that might augur well for boxing is that, unlike most sports, boxing translates very nicely to a telephone screen. Mm. You know, if you go back 60 years, uh, you know, to the 1950s, people said that TV, that boxing sold 
a lot of the early TV sets because it was the perfect sport for those small black and white TV screens. Right. Very hard to follow a baseball on a small <laughs> TV screen. It was impossible to follow a golf ball on a small TV screen. Right, right. That's why Arnold Palmer was so important to golf because <laughs> the camera didn't have to worry about the ball. They just focused on Arnie. Right. But boxing was perfect for the old black and white TV screens because you have a small ring. All the action is taking place between two combatants right on this ring. Right. I'll wait till the finish bonging, which is going to happen now. <laughs> now you look at more and more people getting content on their telephones. Hard to watch a football game on a smartphone. Right. But you can watch a fight on a smartphone. That translates pretty well. And also, you have highlights that are easy to package on a smartphone in short bursts. Here's the knockout. Here right. are the significant blows. So you have to figure all these things into the technology. I'm a technological dinosaur. <laughs> I can't tell you where it's going. And even the people who know this stuff can't tell you where it's going. They can only tell you where they think it's going or where they want it to go. Right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. I guess, um, you know, as, as someone who's clued into uh, the New York boxing scene and, and the fact that uh, WBC heavyweight champion Deontay Wilder has so much of his or half of two thirds of his representation here in New York. Um, what have you heard about Wilder, uh, Joshua and, and, and how are those negotiations going? And I guess what, what's what's your prediction for when it's going to land? My sense is that neither side wanted Joshua Wilder this year. My sense, and again, this is just my instinct, is that Eddie Hearn didn't want it. If I had a fighter like Anthony Joshua with an Olympic gold medal, enormously personable, Exciting fighter. Good-looking guy. Good-looking guy. Can, can put 80,000 people in seats whenever he fights. Makes tens of millions of dollars a fight. Who has a questionable chin and gets hit. Would I want to put him in with a big puncher? Not necessarily. And the Wilder thing, side did some things during negotiations, which if they were really anxious to get that fight, they wouldn't have done it. I mean, you don't need a week to respond to a contract <laughs> offer. You don't need to do things in secret. You don't need to negotiate through the press either. You know, there's oh, this Lord. middle ground of by secret. I'm not saying you negotiate in the press, but you at least should tell Eddie Hearn, you know, these are the points that we're, we're, we're looking at, not we have a couple of things. They, they, they didn't really push it. It was a lot of you know, show for the media. Now, will they fight next year? I don't know. First, they both got to get to that point undefeated. Right. And would I like to see them fight? Yeah, I think it would be a very good fight. I don't know who would win. It would be good for boxing to have one heavyweight champion. But my sense is that neither side really wanted it this year. Both fighters might have. Right. But my sense is that the management teams around them were a little more reserved. And let's look at the zone where they're kicking off with Anthony Joshua. If I was launching this great new over-the-top streaming channel and my greatest asset was Anthony Joshua, I would want to keep him 
unbeaten for a while and hold on to his heavyweight belts. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And, uh, and, you know, Eddie is a great personality. And Eddie is really the driving force behind all this. Eddie is the guy who interfaces with the fighters. Eddie is the guy who puts the business deals together with, I suspect, some significant input from his father, who is still very sharp and very active behind the scenes. Eddie is certainly the up guy, the front guy for the media. And we'll see where he goes with all this. But right now, the best thing they have going forward is Anthony Joshua and the fact that they have his first fight on September 22nd. That's a great kickoff. Oh, what absolutely. What comes after that? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, in all honesty, I'm, I've been really impressed by Eddie Hearn just as a person. I mean, first of all, tall, good-looking guy, always very tan. You know, his, his presence is there, but... His ability, like, you can't throw a question at him that he's going to be off balance. He's very articulate and a tremendous salesman, too. I mean, he's probably, like, the most, you know, like, uh, if you want to call promoters promising. (laughs) I think, like, Eddie, I mean, he makes the sport exciting. He he made a huge deal with the zone. I mean, I think he may be the the future. Eddie, Eddie might very well be the future. Eddie is a very bright, impressive man. But will he deliver for boxing fans right. in terms of what they give us on DAZN? We don't know this yet. And they have another problem with DAZN, which is that in most countries where they have a channel, they have a signature sport. In Canada, they have the National Football League. In Japan, they had Major League Baseball, still had Major League Baseball, which looked a lot better before a certain you know, pitcher hitter blew out his arm and uh, <laughs> was no longer in the lineup for the California Angels. In, in a lot of European countries, they have soccer as their signature sport. They don't have, really, in the United States, a signature market, sport yeah. that's going to get people to say, okay, I have to show this, I have to watch this. They're going, they're going to have to cobble the pieces together. Boxing will attract some fans, but then again, you know, it adds up if you're paying $5 a month for ESPN Plus and $10 a month for, for DAZN and, and now, you know, HBO, Showtime, else and this and that, you know, the numbers add up and you know, as a boxing writer, it's tax deductible for me, <laughs> <Exactly>. legitimately. <laughs> as but a I, manager and I, a boxing I, writer, I, I hear I'm, you. <laughs> I'm not even buying all of them. You know, so we'll, we'll, see, we'll see who offers what. Right. Uh, Eddie knows his stuff. My sense is that he thought he'd have a few more fighters at this point. When they made that announcement in New York a couple of months ago and we're throwing around the big numbers, that was certainly an announcement to fighters, come and see me. And obviously, there was a lot of pushback from guys like Al Heyman behind he the scenes. He was pretty brash talking about poaching. You know, he didn't use the word poach, but well, he was no, talking he, about all. Of, he was talking about PBC fighters. It, he was, well, it was an them. open invitation. You know, as part of the consent or the, the, the settlement agreement between Top Rank and Al Heyman and PBC uh, that came out of their litigation was the clear understanding that other fighters could seek to sign Al Heyman fighters. That you mean other promoters? Other, I'm sorry. I said well, not other right. promoters. No. Al's not a promoter, Al's right? Al's not a promoter. <laughs> Al is, trust me, Al's a promoter. You know? uh, but uh, that, that other promoters 
we're, we're thank you for the correction, but we're <laughs> free to try to sign PBC fighters. Now, Al could say to his fighters, look, I don't think this is a good deal for you. you know, don't right. go with them. Stay here. Do it this way. But other promoters had the option. And it's clear that Eddie Hearn has made overtures to the Charlos, to Errol Spence, some other Al Heyman fighters. He has Danny Jacobs. And uh, we'll see, you know. My sense is he probably figured he'd be able to get the Charlottes. Maybe he still will. You know what? Again, you know, the Charlottes are another... These are two guys who are very good TV. Oh, yeah. But they haven't fought anybody yet. Right, right. You know, let's see them against the best. I would love to see... At 154 pounds, I guess that would be Jamel against Jared Hurd. Yes. That would be a very entertaining fight. At 160, I'd like to see Jamal against Danny Jacobs or Golovkin. The Charlos talk and they say we want the big fights, but somehow they haven't signed for them. I, I think, yeah, I, I don't think that they fear anybody. I think they are chafing a little bit at their inactivity and so on. I will tell you a little something I was clued into was that uh, without question, Eddie Eddie has talked to Al and Al's brain trust. You know, they, they've definitely discussed this. I'm sure that, you know, Al has made commitments to Steven Espinoza and Showtime. Um, you know, I mean, Showtime has laid out a lot of money. Um, I, you know, I don't know the, the nuts and bolts of what, whatever deal that they have. Um, I'm sure PBC doesn't necessarily want to risk it because right now they don't have, they haven't flipped that model and, and gotten the, the, the TV deal. But one of the things that was thrown around was that zone being strictly a streaming service, one of the deals they were trying to work out was possibly having like Charlo fight on zone. And maybe have it simulcast or slight delay broadcast on Showtime. Like they don't, PBC does not want to abandon Showtime, but they don't want to, you know, they don't want to piss them off. But you know, they don't want to just, they can't just give one of the trial, one of their prize pieces away that that you know, Stephen Espinosa has fought so hard to to hold on. Well, to. my sense is that Al makes very few long term commitments to anybody. <laughs> And my guess is that Showtime has his fighters locked in for just so long. There might right. be a first last on one or two fights, but right. that's probably it. And also, I could see Al, if the numbers were right someplace else, saying to Stephen, you've been great for us, thank you, we're going someplace else. You know, you, you mentioned the numbers earlier, the hundreds of millions of dollars that UFC... Yeah, three hundred. Yeah. Well, yeah. If if somebody offered Al a small portion of that to go someplace else, he'd go. You know, Al has been known to move from person to person, promoter promoter, from network. network I've done business with Al. Yeah, when he wants something, he's charming as hell, and when he's done with you, you can't get him back on the line. (laughs) Exactly. So, is it possible there could be a point in time where? Stephen finds it hard to get Al on the phone. Yeah, I suspect there are times now when Stephen finds it hard to get Al on the phone. Right. So, we, we, you know, unless it's contractually agreed to, there, there's really no such thing in boxing as loyalty. Loyalty is a four-letter word. Uh, Richard Schaefer, I know, expected far more from Stephen Espinoza. 
you know, they, they did a lot of business together through right. Golden Boy. Yeah. And, uh, Richard's kind of flapping in the breeze yeah, right now. Yeah. I mean, he's... And Richard, you know, Richard Nall had an interesting relationship. It, it's generally believed that Al put up, or PBC, you know, put up $20 million plus so Richard could settle his litigation with Golden Boy. So that's where all that but, money went. <laughs> but afterwards, uh, I don't see the two of them doing a whole lot of business together. Richard might have an occasional fight of Al's, but not a whole lot. Right. And if you talk to Richard, he, he might be of the view that, you know, given everything he did with Stephen and Al at an earlier point in time, they weren't particularly supportive of him. Mm, mm. Yeah, no, well, obviously, I mean, his, his big baby was the World Boxing Super Series, and he feels like he basically got shut out, like, you know, Golden Boy kind of, you know, behind the scenes uh, kept him off of HBO, and, and Al may have uh, kind of blocked him at, at Showtime. Well, I don't think Golden Boy kept him off of HBO. He might have asked for more money than, right. than HBO was willing to pay, and also... There was an issue as far as HBO was concerned and that a lot of those fights are in the afternoon in the United States. Right, and right. It was a pretty Eurocentric model. is for you know, nighttime live fights and they, they might change that for a heavyweight championship fights that's of some significance. But the HBO boxing model is not to have 3 p.m. Fights. Right. Traditionally, those any of those fights from Europe that, you know, they I've yet to see one that topped a million viewers. I mean, yeah. it's always like, you know, mid to low, 100,000. And if you look at it, it's a shocking number, really, when Joshua and Klitschko fought, the delayed broadcast on HBO that night had more viewers and did a higher rating than the live Showtime telecast that <laughs> afternoon. Right, right. I was watching on Showtime, but a lot of people <laughs> waited and watched it on HBO. You know, it's bizarre because, you know, you and I, you know, grew up in, uh, you know, the 70s, 80s. I mean, maybe you're a little older than me, but, um, you know, I got used to... 20s. <laughs> <laughs> I, grew, I grew up on afternoon fights, you know? Mm. I mean, you know, Wide World of Sports, CBS Sports Spectacular, NBC Sports World. I mean, the, the 70s and 80s. I mean, the time to watch the fights, I mean, very rarely you got a, you got a primetime fight. It was always during the afternoons on the weekends. Well, yeah, and, you know, also, we do watch a lot of football on Saturday and Sunday afternoons. Right, you right. Know, people talk about, well, we'd like to have Anthony Joshua fight in Las Vegas, but, you know, then that screws up the big pay-per-view in Europe. No, it doesn't. Have Anthony fight in Las Vegas at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Right, right, yeah, and and then you're you're what that would put you around ten o'clock, uh, eleven o'clock in the UK in the evening. Maybe yeah, it'd be like maybe Saturday. eight or nine or something. Okay, yeah. well, there's five hours difference between five between New York and and London, so that. Would oh, be you're eight, right. You're right. No, you're right. You're eight right. between. I wasn't Vegas. West Coast. You're right. But uh, you know, it's not like Vegas doesn't have. They're going to have football games at uh, what two o'clock, right. one o'clock most Sunday afternoons this year when they play at home. So you know, it, it's, it's all doable. It's a whole new world now. Right. We don't know how people are going to be watching their fights 10 years from now. What we know is that right now professional wrestling is generating higher license fees in the sports market than boxing, and that to me is very sad. 
I think I think it's crazy. I think it's crazy. It's actually it does a better rating than the UFC as well. Yeah, well, yeah, my other <laughs> is professional wrestling, unlike boxing, gives fans what they want. Right. Well, it's it's you know, I mean, it's it's much easier to to do this when it's all play acting than when fighters are actually taking shots to the head. Yeah, and... <laughs> but but you're still, you know, you know, I actually I went to a WWE show at Madison Square Garden two weeks ago. Uh, I was writing an article about Ronda Rousey, mm. who made her Madison Square Garden debut. And it's so obvious that in many respects, UFC followed the WWE model in that when the show starts at 7 o'clock, two-thirds of your seats are filled already. Mm. You, know, you go to a fight. Oh, and yeah. until the, the main event, you know, it's practically empty because you know you're going to see six dreadful undercard fights. Right. Maybe one good one. You know, it's just, whereas professional wrestling and UFC, all the fights are supposedly competitive. You know, I say supposedly with regard to WWE. It's one after the other without these long breaks in between. And yeah, wrestling's staged. I understand that. UFC isn't. But somehow UFC has gotten across the idea that every fight matters. Steve Farhood and I, when we were young, used to go to the fights at Madison Square Garden, the Felt Forum it was called. Oh, yeah. And there'd be eight fights on the card, and we'd have a standing bet where one of us would have to pick eight out of eight winners. Mm. We'd bet like a dollar. And you know, <laughs> if you picked eight out of eight winners, you got the dollar. And unfortunately, most times the guy who you know, picked the eight won because that's what it was going in. And that's the case now. If you go to most major fight cards... Uh, if you pick the blue corner, you're probably yeah. going to get eight out of eight. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not obvious. You know, we're putting them in this corner. Right. Cowboys and, and, and Indians. And that's, uh, that's just, that's not good for the overall health of a sport. Because, uh, you know, I, I've, I've carved out a very nice niche for myself. And it's something I never take for granted, where very often fighters will allow me in the dressing room in the hours before a fight and then after. And it's a great perspective to write a fight from. I ask myself sometimes, what would it mean for boxing history if somebody had been Muhammad Ali's dressing room before a fight, or Ray Robinson, sure. just writing everything down. And I've been able to do that with dozens of fighters, whether it's Roy Jones, Evander Holyfield, Canelo Alvarez, Gennady Golovkin. It's a privilege. I never take it for granted. And it's a lot of fun. And I also say to myself sometimes, one of the best things about being here in the dressing room is I don't have to watch the undercard fights. <laughs> I mean, they are dreadful yeah. too often. And it's not rocket science. Now, I understand the need to build fighters. Right. And you have fighters, you want to build their records. You also uh, want to give them opponents who are good learning experiences. But... Give us some good competitive <laughs> undercard fights. Right. I'd rather see two guys with seven and nine records fight each other than see a seven and nine guy against a guy who's 24 and 0. Absolutely. Okay, Tom, uh, you know, I, on, my, on my podcast, I, I always have to, to talk about, I mean, I referred to a little bit earlier about a kind of a league structure, and um, it just struck me. Um, I read an article um, that, that Lou DiBello was quoted uh, when the McGregor uh, Mayweather fight was happening. You know, 
And of course, it was an article titled, Will This Fight Save Boxing? Because anytime there's a big fight, the mainstream press gets involved and, oh, is this going to save boxing? And he said, you know, listen, there, there's no paradigm. You know, boxing, boxing is, is struggling because it's not a monopoly and there's no paradigm and, and no one has presented a paradigm for, for it to succeed or, or improve or get out of the state that it's in. And as I was talking about, I mean, I, I don't think it's that hard. I mean, the boxing promoters had a great idea with the Boxing Promoters Association that they did. But, you know, I don't know. It, it, it seemed to fall apart just as fast as, as it came together. But what would you think about, like, a, a, if these guys – because I don't think the fighters will ever do it. I think it's got to come from the promoters. They have to organize. They have to um, – agree to cooperate and, and, and get a schedule together, like in an ideal boxing world. I mean, could you see that as, as being the solution? Is, is, is I, I, don't, I don't see a league as working. Uh, one of the problems is if you look at most of the leagues, you know, it's baseball, football, basketball, you have teams. Rob Gronkowski can go down for the season. Right. The New England Patriots keep playing. Right. Right. Uh, if, if, if LeBron James sits out because he has a leg injury, if he misses a game, the game still goes on. Right. In, bas- in boxing, if, if the fighter's injured, he can't fight. Right. So I don't know that the league idea really works. And even if you said, well, we're going to have teams in this league, I would think you, it would you be, have one fighter in each division. So it would be more like the PGA. I mean, I, just as far as the, the promoters go, I mean... But again, with the PGA, you have a tournament. and well, so we you have the World Boxing Super Series. That's what I'm kind yeah, of talking oh, about. Yeah, no, but that, that, but that... See, to me, what, what I'd like to see this work is with, with eight-man tournaments, let's right. say. Even four-man tournaments. I love exactly. tournaments. Exactly. I love, I love to tournaments. Uh, you know, Teddy Brenner used to say, fights make fights. Right. The problem fights is to today, to fights. fights don't make fights. Right. Right. They all take place in isolation. I love tournaments if you have good fighters in the tournaments. That's why, could you have a great tournament in the welterweight division? Yeah, that's probably your You're best division now for the tournament. But I don't think it's going to happen. Right. But I'd love to see it. Look, I would have loved to see Al Heyman say, okay, my four guys are Keith Thurman, Sean Porter, Danny Garcia, Errol Spence. Those four guys are going to have a tournament. You know, you want to throw Adrian Broner and four other guys in there, fine. I don't want to hear, oh, it's a de facto tournament, or maybe the winner will fight so and so. I, I mean, agree. Wouldn't, wouldn't Sean Porter and Danny Garcia be even better if we knew that the winner of that fight was going to fight Errol Spence. Right. Not might fight Errol Spence. Right. Not, well, after Keith Thurman has a comeback fight, if he still has the fire, maybe the fight. But no, what's going to happen in all likelihood is that the winner of uh, Danny Garcia and Sean Porter will fight a stay-busy fight. Right, right. Or some nonsense mandatory challenger. Who's the WBC mandatory after them? Do we know? 
I don't even know if they're yeah. if they yeah. if they've got someone yet. I mean, I'm, they might have a little grace period because I guess this is a mandated title fight. But right. no, I I want to I want to see good fights. I mean, right. it's not. I want to see good fights. I'll say it again. You want to give me uh, Shawnee Monahan against Mike Lee? Yeah, I like that fight. Right. You have two compelling personalities. Uh, they seem pretty well matched. I like Shawnee in that fight as, as, as a competitive exercise. Sure. Yeah, give me that fight. It's going right. to be entertaining to watch on TV. Right. But don't give me garbage, one-sided fights. Yeah, I mean, I guess my idea is, you know, we're always bitching about the same things in the sport of boxing. You know, the, the best don't fight the best. Um, there's poor judging. There's no comprehensive drug testing. Uh, well, there's there's no... We, we haven't even touched on some of those. <laughs> I mean, the state athletic commissions are an embarrassment. Yeah. They really, they're horrible. Right. They, for the most part, you know, it, when you were in high school, there were always one or two kids that were just dumber than anybody else in the class. I mean, they just didn't have it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of those people have found homes at state athletic commissions <laughs> and, you know, or, or you have people there who are, you know, look, you have some wonderful, dedicated, good public servants at state athletic commissions. For example, I'm a big Greg Serb fan. Oh, that's I great. I think he does a wonderful job. But you've got greedy, dishonest, inept people at so many commissions. The judging is catastrophic. Let's face it, I mean, you could take people out of the stands, three people at random, out of the stands, <laughs> and ask them to judge a fight, and they'd do a better job than some of these judges. Yeah, and I almost agree. always the bad decisions, when they are bad, go in favor of the house fighter. I mean, it's not an accident. Right, right. You have referees who are still refereeing who have gotten fighters killed. Right. Or maimed or brain damaged. Or don't even life. know the basic rules and, yeah. of boxing. I mean, you had that fight, uh, what was it, uh, where the, uh, was Velasco, who did he fight uh, the other night? Um, May not have seen it. No, it was. Oh, you, uh, you're talking about um, uh, Rougarou and. Uh, yeah, that was the guy, Rougarou, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Regis Progre and. Uh, Lawrence uh, Cole. And, yeah, where, where the guy told his corner. Yeah, that he wanted to stop, right. and the corner man forced him out into the ring, and he gets knocked down, and he spits out his mouthpiece and walks away, and Larry Cole puts the mouthpiece <laughs> back in, or at the corner <laughs> put the mouthpiece back in and makes some fight. I mean, you get stuff like that. You get stuff like Yuri Foreman and Miguel Cotto. I know. Where, I mean, when you can't, just, when you're not letting the corner stop yeah, the fight, I mean, what, I mean, just these, where are we these going? These things are horrifying. Right. So, look, yeah, is, is that awful? Yeah. Is the state of drug testing abysmal? Absolutely. You have Margaret Goodman, who I think does a very, very Amazing good job. job with VADA, and an awful lot of fighters avoid VADA. They right. studiously avoid VADA. Right. And uh, you know, that, that's just, everybody's gaming the system. Right. You know, that doesn't make boxing unique, but it, right. it doesn't help boxing either. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like I said, when I, when I uh, finally finish this piece, and it's going to be a long one, but uh, I definitely want to send it to you and get your thoughts. Because, okay. uh, you know, boxing has been without this central body, the policy-making body for, at the very least, the World Boxing Super Series fights, all right? Like, at least have drug testing for the... Ma have a yeah. major league of boxing where you have the testing. You have a central body that says, you know what? Adelaide Bird is not going to work this fight. You know, she's horrendous. Yeah, we're going to get Julie Letterman. We're going to get Weissfeld. We're going to get people who 
are veterans who've been consistent. You know, you're not going to agree with them on every fight, but they're going to be in the ballpark. You know, you're not going to get something ridiculous. I mean, it's not that hard. It's just you have to have, you know, the uh, just you know a, a commissioner, a board that maybe consists of you know fighter representatives, manager representatives, promoters, and maybe business people from the sports world. You know, and, and maybe a players' council that, that advises them about issues that come up. It's you know, PGA does it that way. It's not that hard. You know, it's just getting these guys together, herding the cats to, to do the the best for the. For the yeah, sport. but everybody else, other sports, have figured out that there's a common good, and boxing hasn't gotten there. And in other sports, we can assume that that you know we know who the best players are because we right. see it in their performance against each other week after week after week and in boxing it's it's too often it's hype and a mirage right right yeah they they you know you don't have i mean you, there are you know the the transnational boxing ratings are a media poll that's pretty good you have box rec which has been around forever maybe i don't agree with a, a lot of their stuff but at least it's like the I, atp <laughs> i love john shepherd and i love boxing box rec i should say uh i i, I think box rec is Boxing's indispensable website. To me, John Shepard has performed an extraordinary service for the oh, sport. absolutely. And, it, and it's all free. He's refused right. to make it a pay site, but their ratings are not good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it shows you, you know, in, in a sport that's so subjective, um, it's really hard to make an obje- you know, objective criteria, even if you've got this point system. Um, you know, I mean, listen, it's... It's more credible than the sanctioning body ratings, but yeah, I mean, it's... it's Well, they're not corrupt. I mean, the computer might right. make errors, but at least the computer isn't right. corrupt. But, but again, it's It's, it's kind of like the, with college football, you had the uh, the BCS, and their, the computer ratings were also like all over the place initially, and you had to tinker with them. I think if someone like, you know, who's a serious numbers person and maybe actually is a huge boxing fan yeah. could help them with that a little yeah. bit, they could fine tune it. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, listen. I, I think I think the elements are there for the sport to, to make some change. Now there's so much money in the sport, and um, and also I think we're at a point where we really don't have a lot of superstars who do command pay per view money and who would price themselves out of tournaments. I mean, maybe you got Joshua, maybe you got Canelo, but I mean, Golovkin just fought on HBO for like a million bucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And who else is out there? Spence is still fighting on Showtime. Charlos are still fighting on Showtime. None of these guys would price themselves out of a tournament, you know, especially I mean, the World Boxing Super Series is paying a premium. They're paying above market. Do we know what they're paying? I think for the first season, I mean, again, I, I, I didn't negotiate any contracts yeah. for it, but they, they had an interesting thing. It was a flat, a flat fee, but also like the UFC, they had a win bonus. Yes, but I mean, we, we understand. I think it was like a million dollars and then like 50. 1.5? Well, we, we, we understand that the initial number, what did Richard originally throw out the number 50, 50 million, million, which yeah. we all understood was nonsense. <laughs> and it's it's unclear. I, I certainly don't know what the real numbers were. I know Lou's saying it's big money. And if Lou's saying it's big well, money. But Lou, Lou, unless he's seen contracts, if Lou tells me what he paid for a fight, I think that's an accurate number. I'm not sure Lou knows what other people pay for fights. Well, he's got Ruguru and uh, Barrett. Oh, and this, that's true. In yeah. this tournament, he would know. And I think yeah. they're probably, look, the 140-pound the tournament going forward, we've all seen the 
the, the eight fighters they have. That's a very, very good tournament. Yeah, the Bantamweight and one is Bantam, really good. Bantamweight's pretty good. Very yeah, no, they, 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 they're moving nicely into the second year. And as long as they hew to that formula, I wish them every success because they're going to give us some very good, satisfying fights. Right, right, right. I mean, to me, I don't know. I, I, I see... Yeah, I just see um, the sport is in a is in a unique place now where you don't have um, you don't have a, a bunch of pay per view superstars. You have kind of an affordable cast of characters, you know. Other, other than maybe Canelo, who every fight is going to be on pay per view. Even Pacquiao, I think, is is kind of more of a uh, uh, cable TV fighter at this point in time. I think there's a unique opportunity to uh to to organize and 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 come up with a, a coherent uh organization and structure to market um a a league to networks or even the existing networks and uh and actually you know maybe get some money out of these networks like the ufc is seeing like the wwe is seeing like even the nhl is seeing which boxing consistently beats in the ratings tv ratings and that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast. I'd like to thank Tom Hauser for taking the time out to speak with me today. You can find uh, Tom's great work at thesweetscience.com and ringtv.com. He also publishes compilations of his columns um, in 2017. Uh, the last one that was published is called uh, There Will Always Be Boxing, which is excellent. I've read it. He's got a new one coming out in 2018, Protect Yourself at All Times. Highly recommend uh, anything that Tom writes. He's an amazing writer. Uh, if you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. I'd really appreciate it as it helps new listeners find the podcast. So until next time, so long, everybody.